money is simply an echo of value. It's the thunder to values lightning because the value must come first. That must be the focus. You must focus on bringing value to another human being. And then, you know, the, the chances are much better. They're going to know, like, and trust you. They're going to have confidence in doing business with you. And, and, uh, and then the money you receive is a very natural result of that value. From cave drawings to family histories to stories around the fire, humans crave order among chaos, connection amid isolation. So we tell stories. Our mission at the Storytellers Network is to bring the art of story to the masses. Whether you're in marketing, you're an entrepreneur, or you're developing your own personal brand, telling your story effectively can make the difference between celebrating milestones and collecting unemployment. The Storytellers Network strives to help storytellers tell their stories so you can learn from the best. Now, your host, Dan Moyle. Welcome to the Storytellers Network. You are listening to a podcast all about story. My name's Dan, and I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, I'm very excited to unleash this newest guest on you. Uh, but before I do, just a quick reminder, the website is where you can find everything, whether it's how to contact me, uh, whether it's other resources. Look, I love interviewing storytellers and getting inspiration, but there are people out there much smarter than me to give you plenty of resources. So go to the storytellersnetwork.com. You'll find some stuff there, some links to other places to go. Um, and I just... I think it's so important to tell better stories. So I hope that I inspire you and then you can learn something there as well. And if you're new and you want to subscribe, text the word storytellers to 31996 and that'll hook you up with a couple of options to subscribe. So listen, today's show is part one of two. So to end this season, I've got two parts and, and we're focusing on the Go-Giver series of books and their principles. Uh, I'm absolutely enthralled by this. I'm so excited to have my guest today, the guest for part one is actually co-author Bob Berg, who is the, the, the guy behind all of this. Bob is a Hall of Fame speaker. He's a best-selling author. He's a former top sales pro and podcast host. And of course, you guessed it, the name of that show is The Go-Giver Podcast. Uh, Bob is absolutely phenomenal in this interview. We talk a little bit about his history. We talk about what it means to be a go-giver and how you as a storyteller can put this into action for yourself. So I'm excited to bring Bob on. So let's get to his stories right now. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining me today, Bob. I do appreciate you taking the time. Uh, and as we're recording, it's Valentine's Day. So thank you for that. <laughs> My pleasure. Uh, so when I reached out to you, uh, what I find interesting is when I reached out to you, uh, I, I, of course, I have the book, The Go-Giver. Uh, I got it for thank my you. wife for Christmas and, and enjoy the, the parables in it uh, and, and the laws too. Uh, I love the idea of giving instead of trying to, trying to get. Um, but when I reached out to you, I found your your answer very interesting to me. I think of you as a storyteller because of what you do, speaking and writing and everything else, but your answer was a little bit different. Do you consider yourself a storyteller? No, I consider myself a how-to guy. Now, yeah. I, from, from stage, I tell stories, but there are always stories of things that happened. Mm -hmm. so that's a little easier. You know? Now, of course, things that happened, uh, I guess, what, and I, I don't remember who it was that said, uh, John would know who said it, and you probably know who said it, but uh, maybe it was, Twain, I'm not sure. You, pretty much if it's clever, you attribute it to, to Mark Twain. <laughs> right. That's something like it's, it's harder writing a, a, a fiction because fiction has to make sense, mm. whereas real life doesn't necessarily. And I, I really don't know who said it, but I think that's kind of true. Uh, yeah. There are wacky, weird things that happen in real life. And when they do as a speaker, you kind of jot that right now. <laughs> yeah, okay. say, 
here's something we're going to share from stage, right? And you kind of can almost build around it in, in order to, to use that as, a, as something that makes a point. So are you always thinking in that, in those terms as, as a speaker? Yes, yeah, whenever, whenever I see something, it, it, you know, it, it's, it's probably going to be used on stage if it's something significant. You know, it's even as, as simple as, uh, you know, uh, uh, I'm a customer of uh, Chewy.com, which mm-hmm. uh, is a pet supply online store for uh, animals, for pets. And they are just magnificent. And uh, a friend of mine, uh, her name is Stacy. She she wrote to me and said, "Oh, I, I you know you you won't believe what what they did at Chewy." And she told me how her her uh, one of her dogs passed, and and so she had ordered she had had a whole bunch of food, special food she ordered because he had some some uh, digestion issues, and and um, so she called them and and said that her you know dog just died. Can she please send back the you know all the food she had had and get a refund. And she said the person on the phone just was so amazingly empathetic and uh, sounded like he was going to cry. And, and he just felt so bad. And, and, and he said, well, you know, keep, keep, please keep the, the, the food and donate it to your local shelter. He said, we'll refund your money right now. And, you know, that's nice enough. Two days later, there's a whole bouquet of flowers that arrive for her from the team at Chewy talking about how they know how nothing can bring back the you know, the, the dog that she lost, the family member she lost, but hopefully these flowers will, you know, do their part to help her, right? And so she wrote to me, she said, you know, I, I'm their biggest fan, right? And, and I mean, that's a great story. And that's a story from stage. And, you know, it turns out, by the way, I blogged about that at the Berg.com blog, and I got so many comments from people who said they had similar experiences with, with mm-hmm. Chewy. And it, what's interesting is when I online on Twitter and on Facebook, when I, when I talked about that and I, I posted that somebody from Chewy responded to it, you know, oh. so they know what they're doing. But, but one of the points was because people could easily say, okay, sure. They do that, but aren't they doing that because they, you know, they give back that food or they, they pay back that food, credit back the food, the flowers, the whole thing. Well, they know, they're going to make money from that eventually because sure, of course they are. Yeah. I hope they do, but that's Mm -hmm. not why they did it. They did it because it's who they are. Okay. It's because it's who they are that it's what they did Mm -hmm. and that's their culture. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's the lesson that, you know, the story is what they did with Tracy and the dog. The lesson is when you have a culture of excellence, of caring, of empathy, Okay. You attract people to your team that have that, those same values and they take care of the client. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then a couple of things come to mind that all comes, comes through as the story, you know, which is why I'm talking about storytellers, but also, I mean, in this world of automation and Alexa and Siri and everything else, I mean, that empathy is so powerful. The idea of giving because your culture has to be just more and more powerful. You are you finding that in the world? Yeah, well, you know, Jeff Colvin, the uh, senior editor at large uh, at Fortune magazine, who's written some terrific books, his last one he wrote was called Humans Are Underrated. And the premise was that it used to be the question we asked was, what can humans do that machines still can't do? And there were some answers to that. Okay. Now that's not even a question because there's nothing humans can't do, basically, that machines can't, whether it's it's writing a, uh, a legal brief or probably doing surgery or, you know, anything, right? However, the question now becomes, 
what is it that, sure, humans can do and machines can do, technology can do, but that other humans won't accept from anything but other humans, okay? Mm -hmm. and, and because of that, now the skills that are thought of as soft skills, and I've never understood why they were called soft skills, because they're probably the hardest skills to master for most people, but what have you, the soft skills, the uh, team building, collaboration, empathy, caring, tact, those things are going to be, as technology continues to, you know, to do board war, uh, those skills are going to be the ones that those who master those skills are the ones that are the most marketable and they're going to be making the most money. They're going to be most in demand and it's already starting to happen. And in his book, Humans Are Underrated, he, he showed plenty of examples where, where that's the case. Companies are paying top dollar to be human. Mm-hmm. Now, it sounds like you probably do a lot of reading in addition to your story gathering. Is that where, is that where you find a lot of ideas come from, is the constant learning? Is that why story is so powerful? I, I, that's a great point. I think it probably is. You know, you, you hear the, you read, you, well, you hear things in life, you see things, but you know, you get into books and you read stories, you read about things and it, you know, it could be a fictional story. It could be a how-to book. It could be a biography. You know, so many great stories come just from, from reading them in biographies. What is yeah. life, but a series of stories. And uh, you know, so sure there's so much to learn and, and we need to, to keep our eyes open. Uh, I think Stephen King had said that, you know, if you want to be a good writer, you've got to be a great reader. Mm -hmm. Yeah. His, his book on writing, uh, I read that way back when I was in high school and I still reference that today. Um, so clearly you read between that conversation, and the books behind you has, has the internet, what, what has the internet done to books for us? Do you think? Um, and that learning. Hmm. Probably given us more access to good things. Of course, it's also given us more access to lousy things, but that's where <laughs> discernment and wisdom comes in, you know, right. and that's where you can't let people just lead you to where they want you to go. You've got to be discerning and you've got to ask the right questions and follow the right people and sources and know who and what you can trust. And that's not always easy to do. It's something we constantly have to work at. But I think the internet has opened up worlds and you know in terms of that the information's out there you want to read about some you want to find out about someone you know you, you, you do it you look online I mean I, I think it's terrific where do you think that would have been different for you in your career uh, without the internet I mean would would this message how much I guess I guess my, my stumbling would be how much more difficult would your message be to get out there without the internet no, I, I got it. And it's a good question. And I, I, one reason I love the question is because, you know, I'm, I'm 61 years old. Half of my career was without the internet, mm -hmm. and, you know, and half was with the internet. And to me, I, you know, and you never knew differently before it was there, right? You, you, when you had a book you were promoting, you did it the traditional ways. You were on every radio station you could get on and you were on every TV show you could get on and you pounded the pavement. You, you did, you know, the things where, um, the internet to me makes it a lot easier, right? It gives you so much more access to so many more people and so many more people, so much more access to you. Mm -hmm. uh, like anything else, it's still just a medium. It needs to be the servant, not the master. The, the, the internet itself isn't going to do it for you, <laughs> but you know, you yeah. be able to utilize it correctly. And it's still a matter of, of connecting with, with, you know, still, you know, I, I have a saying in, in most of my writing, whether how to books or, or parables that, 
all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. Nowhere do we say they'll do business with and refer people to those computers or those <laughs> right. social media platforms they know, like, and trust. Yeah. I like, I like the KLT rule. I, I quote that a lot, okay. actually. <laughs> um, now, in so in The Go-Giver, I, again, I, going back to this, I, I love the idea that to, to get success or to earn it, you give, um, you know, in, in my little world, uh, servant leadership, serving others, service, all that kind of stuff really come to mind. That's what I try and teach my daughters, my, my wife and I live that out. Um, so I like like the, the five laws, right? The law of value and compensation and influence in this. How, how did you kind of start to frame that for yourself back in the day? I mean, was this, you know, pre books when you were in sales, did you see that coming or did it just kind of like, like, where does that come from? I, you know, well, there's a story behind that. Hmm? (laughs) Good. Excellent. (laughs) You know, I, I began actually as a broadcaster as a, in radio and then in, in television, I was a, I was the late night news guy for a small ABC affiliate in the Midwestern United States. I I was really not very good. I, I, I read the news, but I was 24 years old, had no knowledge of the news and didn't care. So it wasn't really long before I, I wasn't there. I graduated into sales. And I floundered for the first few months, I guess, only because I had no, you know, I didn't know how to sell. And the training at the company I was at was negligent, negligible at best. Um, so, but I eventually stumbled into a bookstore and, and uh, saw some books on selling and it really opened up my world and I learned how to sell and I was pretty good at it. Uh, after a couple of years, I had done well, but I certainly wasn't anywhere near my potential. I was sort of like Joe in the story, in the go-giver. And I remember coming back from a, from a non-selling appointment. Uh, it was not non-selling by design. It was supposed to be a selling appointment, but I didn't do the job I needed to do. And, and uh, I was really, I remember being really mad that my prospective customer didn't get it, right? It would have been so good for, and it would have been, but that was my fault, right? You know, uh, because I didn't, I didn't present correctly. I didn't ask him the right questions. I didn't discover his needs. I wasn't focused on it. And so I, I had kind of, I guess, a look of, uh, of uh, discouragement probably on my face because there was a, a, a guy there who's an older guy, much older guy. Uh, and of course, this is almost 40 years ago. So I, when, I say, when I say a much older guy, he was probably my age now. Right? <laughs> yeah. Crepid, you know, just old. Right? Sure, yeah. So, <laughs> so, um, but he, and he wasn't in sales. I think he was in the engineering department. And he was the kind of guy, you know, you'd see him around every so often. I didn't know him well. But he didn't say much. But whenever he said something, it, was, it tended to be profound. And, he, and I think he saw in me someone who had potential, but certainly hadn't come close to realizing it. And he said to me, Berg, can I give you some advice? And I said, absolutely, please do. And he said, if you want to make a lot of money in business, actually, he said, if you want to make a lot of money in sales, he said, don't have making money as the target. Your target, he said, is serving others. Now, when you hit the target, you'll get a reward. And that reward will come in the form of money. And you can do with that money whatever you choose. But never forget, he said, the money is simply the reward for hitting the target. It ain't the target itself. Your target is serving others. And that was a a change maker for me. Mm -hmm. That was a difference maker. That's what said to me, you know, Berg, the sale is not about you. 
And it's not even about your products and your services. It's about the other person and how they are going to benefit. So, you know, you look at the law of value, your true worth is determined by how much more you give in value than you take in payment. That doesn't mean you lose money on it. It means that price and value are two different things. Uh, price is the dollar figure, value is the relative worth or desirability. So your job is to provide so much immense value and attention and excellence and empathy and education and everything that you can to help this person accomplish their goals through your product or service so that they feel as though they receive much more in value than what they paid. And of course, you also make a very healthy profit. You know, you look at the law of influence. Your influence is determined by placing the other person's interests first. No, this doesn't mean you're being self-sacrificial or a martyr uh, or a doormat. It just means you understand that your goal is to make your win all about the other person's win. Okay. And so I, so all these, that's, you know, really kind of how they, they start. And of course, John, my co-author, John David Mann, the brilliant, brilliant writer and storyteller, really the lead writer and storyteller in, in these parables. He was a great entrepreneur himself. And so, you know, we, we kind of took our experiences and we mixed and matched and we saw, okay, what are those things that really sustainably successful entrepreneurs, salespeople, business people do that helps them to create success? Yeah. I'm looking forward to hearing his story too. He's, uh, we're, we're talking here in a couple of weeks. So, so thank you for that connection. Ask him, ask him about the uh, private school that he started when he was still in high school. Oh, all right. Uh, it's an amazing story. All right. I'll have to ask that. So it sounds like a lot of this that we're talking about culture and empathy and, and how powerful this is. It sounds like new age almost, you know, it sounds like it's very modern, very 2019, like, like this is what millennials are talking about. Now I'm, I'm Gen X, but I'm very young, like mindset Gen X. Um, so I, so I, I'm moved by a lot of this, but this isn't new. I mean, if you're talking about the sales guy 40 years ago, 30 years ago, like that's, that was knowledge back then. What's made it all come about now, do you think, so much more powerfully? Uh, you made a great point. There's nothing about this that's new. The principles have been around since time immemorial. Uh, certainly, as long as there have been market-based economies where people weren't forced to buy from anyone else, so people had to earn the right to have someone want to do business with you. I'll often, when I'm speaking at a sales conference, the first thing I'll say, and I say this jokingly, not in a dogmatic you know, <laughs> fashion, but I'll say, no, nobody's going to buy from you because you have a quota to meet. And we all laugh because we know it's no one's going to buy from us because you're right. Uh, they're not going to buy from you because you need the money or have a mortgage payment. And they're not going to buy from you because you're a nice person. They're going to buy from you because they believe they'll be better off by doing so than by not doing so. And because of this, that anyone who has ever had, you know, again, sustainable success in a true market-based economy has always had to focus on the other person. They always had to focus on giving value. Uh, so, you know, and this is why we say that money is simply an echo of value. It's the thunder to values lightning because the value must come first. That must be the focus. You must focus on bringing value to another human being. And then, you know, the, the chances are much better. They're going to know, like, and trust you. They're going to have confidence in doing business with you. And, and, uh, and then the money you receive is a very natural result of that value. Um, but, you know, again, those who've, 
uh, you know, not that there aren't people who don't fake value, but those are con artists. Those are not salespeople. Okay. And, and it's very hard to have a sustainably successful career doing something like that. Um, no, the, the people who, who thrive are, are those who, you know, their focus is on the other person. And uh, that's, that's been that way for a long time. Now, John and I may have placed this into a, uh, a story form and, and put a set of, of laws, if you will, down. But I got to tell you, the first wave of people, okay, who bought this book uh, and would write to us said, this is what I've been doing for years. This is how I built my business. And this is what I've been trying to tell those in my organization how to do, but they didn't, what to do, but they didn't believe me. And why? Because what do you see on, in the movies? What do you see on TV? There are two types of people. There are the good people, right, who are generally portrayed as being poor, but happy, right? And they're yeah. honest and they're, but they're, but they're always put down, stepped on, stepped over, taken advantage of by who? The rich people who are mean and nasty and cowardly and hateful and have no soul. So people believe that's how you, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so the first, you know, that first wave was the already successful people, but then they started giving the book out because you know how it is. People wouldn't listen to them, but maybe they'd <laughs> listen to someone who wrote a book and said the same thing that they were saying. Oh. So, <laughs> and we started hearing from that second wave and that's people who said, Oh, I was given this book by, you know, a really successful person who said, just follow what's in the air. And my business has, you know, so, you know, we love hearing that, but should that be necessary? No, it really shouldn't <laughs> be, but that's the way of the world. That is, we are not, a, we are not a hero in our own home or a prophet in our right, own exactly. town, right? <laughs> Somebody else said, oh, that's genius. Or, uh, you know, as oh. the father of teenagers, <laughs> like I will never be smart, but if I give him a book from somebody else. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Right. And, and I love the idea that, that money is an echo of the value. Um, mm-hmm. Do you, do you think that that can hold true when it comes to people just starting off as, as storytellers, whether they're in sales, whether they're in marketing, they're a business owner. I mean, that, that has to hold true for all of us, I would say. Right. Uh, sure. What, what context are you thinking in terms of would it hold? I mean, I'm just thinking like if, if somebody's listening and they're just kind of starting off, whether uh-huh. it's a career in marketing or whatever it is, like okay. just bringing that value. Oh, sure. And, and, and I hate to use the word authenticity because it just seems so overused right now, but it really is right. I mean, authentically being what you are and bringing that value and sure. having a price is okay but you have to bring that value. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and, and we want people, you know, generally to be price wise, to be on the high end, because why not? If you have lots of value to offer, the mm-hmm. key is, are you offering more in value than what you're charging? You know, when you, when you, uh, you know, these days by, you know, by and large technology is pretty much leveled off the playing field. And so most products work, most services work. Well, you know, there's not a whole lot of difference. And, and so the world has kind of become commoditized. And so if a, let's say you and five other people are trying for the, the same gig, right? It's selling the same product or service to a, a certain prospective customer. If they cannot distinguish between any two or more products or services, well, they're naturally going to go with the, who has the lowest price. And, you know, my suggestion would be unless your last name is Walmart or Amazon.com, <laughs> trying to make low price your unique selling proposition is probably not a productive way to do business. It's not a good way. It's not profitable. It's not fun. It's not sustainable. Um, when you sell on low price, you're looked at as a commodity. When you sell on value, you're a resource. Mm-hmm. Uh, story 
helps you to communicate value, right? Um, you know, story goes from a, a heart to heart level. Uh, stories from the heart connect with the heart. Now, like any other kind of sales, you have to know how and why your story is bringing value to them or communicating that value. And that's why as a salesperson, before you tell your story, you've got to ask the questions and listen and know what this other person, you know, what is sales? By definition, sales is simply discovering what the other person wants, needs, or desires and helping them to get it. We can only know that through asking questions because we can't read their minds. We all come from our own set of beliefs, our unconscious operating system, as I call it. Uh, and we, you know, we, we see the world in a certain way and we tend to think others see it that same basic way, but it's, but it's not true. Okay. And so the only way we can, we can step into another person's shoes, if you will, is by asking them questions and then really, really listening to understand. Only after we know because they've told us and we've clarified, sometimes people can say something. And as you know, but two people can hear the same thing and have two different interpretations of what was said. So after we clarify, only now can we utilize and story, if you will, connect the benefits of our product or services with what they need, want, or desire. Mm -hmm. And that can be a, a very powerful moment in that, in that relationship, which is what it is, right? Yeah. And uh, allows you to create and add more value for which you can charge a higher fee. Mm -hmm. And, and something that I, I'm hearing in a subtext here, maybe I'm reading into this or I just think of this right now. Don't be afraid to make that ask. So whether you're in sales, whether you are a storyteller, whether you're a writer, just getting ready to write your first book or whatever, don't be afraid to make that ask don't give away things just for free all the time. Um, have confidence, I guess. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a time and place to give away things for free, but that's not what we mean by being a go-giver. Okay. Yeah. Giving away for things for free. Sometimes it's strategy. And it's a good strategy. For example, when people come to the website, they can get two uh, chapters of the book to see if they like the book. Uh, that's not being a go-giver. That's a marketing strategy because we figure if people come and they read the first couple chapters, if they're the type that would like the rest of the book, they'll probably click through. If they wouldn't, they probably won't. But again, that's not being a go-giver and it's not not being a go-giver. It's just a strategy and it's good to, to, to give certain information away sometimes because it allows people to get to be familiar with your work and get to feel comfortable with you. But no, you're right. You need to ask. And, and the whole thing about being a go-giver, the whole, the whole premise really is that, is that shifting your focus from getting to giving. And when we say giving, we simply mean constantly and consistently providing value to others. Understanding that doing so is not only a more pleasant way of conducting business, it happens to be the most financially profitable way as well. Mm -hmm. And you do need to usually ask because most of the time, uh, they're not gonna just stop you mid-sentence and say, uh, you know, will you take my credit card or can we sign, you know, usually you have to ask key is if you've really discovered, if you've really focused on that other person, if you've really discovered what it is they're looking to do to accomplish through your product or service, and you've been able to communicate the, the match between the two being there, then when you ask, you don't need any kind of fancy kind of ask. Okay. You just ask them to take, you're right. Just asking them to take action on something that they've already told you they want to do. Hmm. You don't need to fool them. You just need to again, be authentic. Right. Yeah. So I'm going to go back to something, Bob, that you talked about earlier when you were talking about that guy that 
that helped you get out of your funk and see how to be a giver, that brings to mind the idea of mentorship to me. So I kind of want to dig into this for a minute as, and I picture at least some of the listeners being those folks who are early on in their careers, others being a little bit later. I think there's a great connection to be had there. You seemed to be open to this guy's willingness to mentor you, at least if just, if nothing else, just a a statement, right? Yeah. I'm going to listen and I'm thinking of his advice. It's kind of mentoring. How important do you think that is to be open to that? And then also on the, on the other side of it to reach back and help others. Well, okay, so let's take the first one. I think mentorship is very important because a good mentor who's not so much a, you know, a, a coach as much as a guide, you know, an overall guy, um, they can help cut your learning curve time by years, mm-hmm. okay? So, you know, it's, they, they have experience you just don't have and they have a way of seeing the world from a bigger viewpoint and they've been there, they've done that. And so very, very important. I, I think the biggest challenge that people have is how to ask someone to mentor them without coming across in a way that is kind of maybe a turnoff sometimes because I, I do see a lot of people who they'll they'll connect with someone and and they'll say hey you know I'm looking for a mentor would you be my mentor and you know there's no relationship established or they just kind of come right out as the person and it I think it, you know it's sort of like saying to a person hey you know would you share 40 years of your hard one experience with me despite not knowing me from a hole in the wall Right. And it sounds, you know, almost entitled or, or whatever. So my way of, of suggesting to, to do this instead, and you can pretty much reach out to, to practically anyone these days, whether it's online or by the phone or someone you see in person, but it's just to simply say, you know, I'm just either starting a business or I'm early in my career and I have a lot of respect for, you know, for you and the work you've done. Um, may I ask, and of course, uh, if, the time is just not right for you. If it's not appropriate, that's totally fine. I'm wondering if I, I may ask you a couple of, of very specific questions. And so what you've done is you frame this in a way that you totally respect the fact that you're asking them for something important. You've let them know you're not going to take up a lot of their time. It's also not something that you feel entitled to. And that you're going to ask just a couple of, you know, very quick, specific questions. Mm-hmm. And most people, not everyone, but it doesn't have to be everyone, but most people will say, sure, go right ahead. Now, you want to make sure you've done your research so that you don't ask them something that you could have easily found out through, right, through just, you know, an online uh, look. But so you ask them a couple of these questions, they answer you, you thank them profusely. What I would also do is that very day, I would send a handwritten personalized thank you note. Uh, just a very quick one that just says, thank you so much for the time you took. I realize you're very, very busy. Your advice was priceless. Uh, I look forward to putting it into action and I'll keep in touch and let you know how things are going or whatever. Uh, meanwhile, if you can do something for them that you would, that you know would be appreciated, for example, uh, let's say you know that they are a, uh, an animal uh, lover and they're, they, um, um, are on the board of their local uh, uh, shelter and you make it small. It doesn't have to be big, but just a small donation in their name. Um, It'll get back to them. You're not doing it to kiss up. You're doing it to just communicate that again, you appreciated what they did. You don't take it for granted. And that while you certainly can't provide them the kind of value they provided you, that that's your goal that you want to be, you know, a value to them. Now, you know, a few weeks later, you might have another question or you might, you know, what have you. But if a, if a mentor protege relationship is supposed to happen, 
Uh, eventually it will, but it's a relationship like anything else. Sometimes it does. Sometimes they can go for years. Other times it might be six months or a couple of weeks, or it might be that what we call the drive-by mentor, like that older guy was. I don't know if I ever saw him again afterwards. I think he retired soon after. Hmm. It's not like we had a, a Tuesday with Maury's kind of relationship. <laughs> it was one time. Yeah. And my friend Dondi Scumachi, who's a mentor of mine, we call those drive-by mentors. It was someone who just happened to kind of almost drive by with some great advice when you most needed it, and it was game-changing for you. Hmm. Now, you also asked, is it important to be a mentor? Sure, I think it is. Uh, uh, I don't think it's something that someone should do out of a sense of guilt, but I think it's congruent with their values that they want to help someone else, whether or not they've ever been helped. But the fact is they probably have been helped. So it's a great thing to help someone else. That's the circle of life. I mean, it's just a wonderful thing. But even if they've never been helped by someone, that still doesn't mean they can't help someone else. But again, I, it's not that it's, I, I, I never like to frame things as though there's some sense of obligation. If you're a good person, you'll do this. May not be what this person really wants to do. They may do other things that they, but sure, if someone, if that's congruent with someone's values and they would enjoy doing that and helping out the younger up and comer, mm -hmm. by all means, of course, I think it's a wonderful thing. And is it based only on age? This might be a dumb question, but is it only like, if I'm older, I can mentor younger or can you mentor up, so to speak, too? Yeah. Oh, you can. I, I see it all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think we usually, you know, we usually think of that, that someone who's older is probably more experienced and more successful than just because that's usually just how it is. But no, I see all the time people who are younger, who've just achieved some wonderful success and they mentor someone who's, uh, you know, that's usually more of a specific mentorship as opposed to a, you know, a life kind of, you know, it, it's a specific business how-to type of mentorship, but absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. Now, so Bob, I, I see you as somebody who's obviously had some great success. Um, you, you've got your, your books, you've got the, the speaking that you do, you have your podcast and, and you started up in sales with a like regular job, maybe, maybe not nine to five, but I know salespeople work all hours, um, <laughs> but you had kind of a, a real job but you've, you've developed or you've created this, this life for you that seems to be successful. Do you look around yourself and think, gosh, I've kind of made it w without like retiring. But I mean, do, do you look around yeah. yourself and see that success? That's a, that's a great question. You know, I, I really don't know that I see it that way. First, I, I, I mean, I feel like I'm always growing. So it's, it's not that I ever like, think, okay, you know, I've, I do feel very fortunate. I mean, I, I know that there's things I've been able to do and, and achieve that. But remember, I've also had a lot of failures. <laughs> so I've had more failures than I've had successes. I've just been very fortunate with some of the successes. And I think that's how it is with a lot of people. But, um, you know, at 61, I'm very grateful for where things have taken me. But I can't say I think like, well, I've made it. That's it. Yeah, sure. I don't think so. And, and what kind of milestones do you, have you looked for over the years? Were you able to, to kind of measure that? I mean, you know, I, I think of me in my, in my career path right now, I want to someday, I say, be a speaker. I want to, I'd love to be able to do keynotes and workshops and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Was there a point for you where you thought, okay, this, maybe not that you've made it, but like, <clears throat> this is the path. Well, uh, back in the was it the early, very early '90s, I guess that that I knew that was the path I I wanted to do. I was actually selling 
cassette tapes. That's how far back that was, right? Awesome. Sort of like eight track tapes, only just a little more advanced. <laughs> um, and so I was selling cassette tapes for another speaker. And I just, you know, I'd go every place. I'd speak for free to all these groups that would have me speak for 20 minutes. And I'd sell the tapes and I learned how to do that. And, and that was fun. But um, I kind of knew there was a little more to it that I wanted to be doing. And I developed my own program based on things that had worked for me that I've learned. And I began my own speaking career. And, and, um, and as soon as I did and, and had a modicum of success, I knew this was what I wanted to do. There were times I almost went out of business early on and couldn't sustain it. But, um, you know, once it got to a certain point that it was self-sustaining, then, you know, yeah, I, I was in it for the long haul. That's, you know, what I was going to do. And, and now that, and again, I, I know you don't say that you've made it, but I look at it as someone who's very successful. Do you still have to work that hard to get that success or does it become just a little bit easier? I probably would have to work hard still if, there were certain things I wanted to accomplish like a X amount of uh, bookings a year at a certain fee and doing this and that, but I'm actually pulling back now. So I'm not retiring by any means, sure. but you know, I'm now um, doing no, no more than 20 out of town engagements a year. So I'm, I find myself not really other than in very specific cases where I I'm trying to go after a certain company or a, no, nah, I don't really do a whole lot of it at this point, but we are doing different things. So Kathy Tajan, my brilliant business partner and I, um, you know, we've developed a certified go-giver speaker uh, program where um, we have speakers that, that we teach how to do all, all the intellectual properties I've developed over the last 30 years, how to speak on them. And we teach them how to have a speaking career and how to speak on that. So that's one part. And we have... Um, uh, we have a, a Go-Giver Entrepreneurs Academy where people come to us. It's, we limit it to 10 people because we go very deep into their, into their business. So in that way, we're, doing, we're still doing different things. Again, I'm nowhere near retiring. It's just that the actual speaking part is something I really don't work hard at anymore in terms of getting bookings because I don't want that many bookings. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, I would have to. Yeah. Right. Now, is, is there something next for you other than... I mean, and other than all that, right? Like, hey, that's no big deal. Um, but is is Go Giver going to be your legacy, or do you see something else in the future that you want to go after? Well, it, it's interesting that my uh, and we just had a, a a recent story out, a recent um, addition to the Go Giver uh, um, parable family called the Go Giver Influencer, mm -hmm. and that a lot of that material uh, that again John excellently weaved his magic with. Uh, was from <laughs> a lot of it was was from a a book I wrote called Adversaries into Allies, which is basically about people skills. It's really you know people have called it the Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People for the Modern Day. Hmm. And when I say people have called it that, I mean I've called it that. But uh, <laughs> no, others fortunately have actually. <laughs> hey, you might as well trumpet that, right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and that's really my passion. You know, that, that it's, it's people skills. It's, it's, it's people being alert, teaching people how to communicate with others in a way that's much more positive. And that's why, which is really influence, which is why John and I wrote this, you know, this, this uh, last one. So uh, I, I don't think I'll ever stop with that message, though. I think it's going to be more with the Go-Giver series as opposed to, um, you know, with that particular book, even though that book, which is a how-to book, Adversaries into Allies, to me is, you know, that's my kind of, 
book that you know <laughs> that that what I was I think put on earth to write. But um, yeah, but I think the Go Giver brand has become so strong that that's what I'm associated with. And believe me, I I don't mind being typecast with that. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. It's funny because the adversaries and the allies, I, I know that's your book, but it's also, um, I watched the, the kid that would become King recently. It's a, it's a new kind of a newish movie and it's oh. about King Arthur sort of. Oh yeah. And it talks a little bit about that, how King Arthur turned his adversaries into allies oh, really? around <laughs> the, the night's table. So it's interesting wow. that that kind of came up anyway, uh, yeah. totally random. Um, Man, Bob, I really appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, oh, thank you. Likewise. I learned a ton. I hope the listeners have too. Uh, before I, I let you off the hook, though, I, I want to give you a chance to answer my, my favorite question. We'll see if you like this. Um, <laughs> if somebody told you tomorrow that you can no longer tell stories, whether it's from the stage or in books, mm-hmm. what, what would your last story be to go out on? Oh, wow. What a great question that is. What would be my last story? Uh, it would have to be a story about my mom and dad, and I don't know what the story would necessarily be, but they've been such a wonderful influence in my life and such a blessing to me to have grown up with them. And there are so many stories, so many mom and dad stories, mm-hmm. uh, that are just wonderful that I, I would come up with one. Nice. That's, that's really, that's really cool. It's nice to hear that, that parents have a good influence still. Yeah. Are they, are they, do you still have them in your life? Yeah. That's yes, awesome. Yeah. That's great. Mm-hmm. Well, good, man. Well, I'll tell you what, I, again, I, I appreciate it. Now, if somebody wants to obviously find you, Bob Berg, uh, Berg.com, but is there any other place that people should go for like either that, that course or anything else? Uh, you know, if they go to the gogiver.com, the Berg.com, uh, great when I welcome people to come there. It's more for the, a lot of the speaking and, and other things. The gogiver.com is where there's a lot of the goodies kind of easily right there. The podcast, the Facebook live show, the, um, the books where they can get the uh, couple of free chapters to see if they like them first. So I would say either one berg.com or the gogiver.com. All right. We'll link to those in the show notes. Thanks again, man. Oh, my absolute pleasure. Thank you. So once again, thank you so much, Bob Berg for coming on the storytellers network. You want to connect with Bob, as you heard, you can go to the gogiver.com and all those links are in the show notes. So if you're listening in the car, wait till you, you pull over later to go there, but they're in the show notes, check out Bob, buy his book, get on board with this go-giver stuff. This whole servant thing is absolutely awesome. Uh, and if you enjoyed this episode and you think someone else can benefit from it, please share it with them. Uh, I do. I appreciate that. But also if we can give back to people and we can, we can help the world be a better place to people like, like Bob Berg's information, that's huge. So share it with somebody, social media, text it, just tell them about it. Uh, I find sometimes just mentioning podcasts that I listen to other folks, they're like, Oh, I never heard of that show. I'm going to check it out. So conversations are a great way to, to, to get that out there. Word of mouth marketing as Jay Bear calls it, right? Uh, so there you go. My name's Dan. You've been listening to the Storytellers Network. I really appreciate you listening. Uh, again, all the resources at thestorytellersnetwork.com. You can find the contact page there. Hit up contact Dan. We can chat and uh, look for another episode next week. And again, next week is part two of the Go-Giver series. And I'm talking to co-author John David Mann. So look for that coming up next week. Until then, here's to telling our stories and having stories to tell. Cheers. Thank you.